Congregation, that sounded good. Thank you. Thank you, Doug, for sharing testimony. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm enjoying this study that we're in. But like I've always said, what makes sense in my head may not make sense to you. The Beatitudes are actually, uh, I think, a, a revelation as to how we can find um, the good life in this life that we live. When Jesus began teaching this, and as we recall last week, if you were here, when he looked out over the crowds, I think that when the multitudes had gathered, and he hadn't started teaching yet, but he was going to, but when he, when he saw the multitude there, he gathered his disciples to him, and he began to tell them what people need, what they need. As he looked out over the multitudes and looked over the shoulders of the disciples as they, as they sat down in front of him, he began to share with them that as he looks into the hearts of people like you and I, he sees very clearly what we're lacking, what we need, and how we can attain that. The first thing that he said, as we read last week, and I think you, as we were thinking, as we were thinking about, as I was thinking about it, I was thinking these are these are just such um, short yet very clear statements, and yet we live in a day and time where, when people talk about uh, happiness or joy or how to find fulfillment in life. It just seems to be a never-ending list, and there always seems to be some new list coming down the pipe. But not the Lord's words. Very clear, very succinct. And the reason is because when he looks into the hearts of us, he sees that it's not a complicated issue. Uh, as has been mentioned so far in, in our service, you know, as Doug pointed out, it's very simple. Stand up for the Lord. Live for the Lord. Uh, trust him. Trust, trust the Lord. So on the first one, he said, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit. And we, as we thought about that and we talked about it last week, it became very clear that, uh, that in our, in our uh, poverty-stricken uh, condition that People may not be able to see, but the Lord looks into our heart and he sees that we are, we are poor in spirit and we need uh, to be changed or helped. Today is another statement. Blessed are they that mourn, they shall be comforted. Now, I thought a lot about that, and I'm going to change up the wording a little bit uh, grammatically uh, eventually this morning to illustrate what I think captures this particular statement, this encouragement that we were to live. When we think about, there are three words that we'll look at this morning. Blessed, of course, we talked about that last week. Blessedness, bliss, uh, and the way it comes through the language is, oh, the blessedness of those who are poor in spirit. Theirs is going to be the kingdom of heaven. Well, today we'll, go, we'll say the same thing. Oh, the 
the blessedness of those that mourn. And my first thought is, how is that the case? Mourning is not something that's blessed. But to change this statement, oh, the blessedness of comfort when we are mourning. Makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Now, let me share with you, because I got a lot of comments from last week. However, it was not so much about my teaching. It was about my story, my fiasco. So I'm going to share another one with you. And it's going to illustrate what mourning mourning is not. Um, I decided years ago that I was going to grow uh, cabbage. And I was going to make sauerkraut. I never made it in my life. I only read about it. So I decided that I would do that. Well, it happened to be a good year, so I had a, a bumper crop of, uh, of cabbage heads. And so I just was reading and never talked to anyone. I just thought, well, I can do this. And um, so I had like 20, uh, I don't know, 20 heads of cabbage, and I ended up making... Oh, about 30, 28 to 30 quarts of sauerkraut. Uh, now, I don't have a cellar, so I just thought the next best thing is I'll just put it in my utility room, you know, put it in the utility room where it stays warm, you know, at all times. So anyway, I'd, I'd, I'd can 28, stacked them all up in there, I had sauerkraut everywhere. And uh, it's in the middle of it was spring, middle of summer, I was sitting in there, and all of a sudden, I heard this kapow. I looked around, I don't know what it was, and then I heard kapow, kapow. Well, I thought something was blown up in the, I thought I was having a gas leak or something. So anyway, I walked in there, and right when I walked in, I saw the, I saw the fourth kapow. That sauerkraut had fermented so much and it was so warm in there, it was blowing the tops off, and I had sauerkraut all over. Now, I mourned. I mourned. I looked at that and I thought, everything is wasted, you know. That's not the mourning that we're talking about this morning. As I thought about this, I've actually... Uh, put this in three categories uh, according to our, our human nature and human behavior. We always will mourn. We mourn because we're in despair, because we are grieving, or because of guilt. Those are the three things or three reasons why we find ourselves mourning. Now, when we talk about uh, mourning, it's a very simple word. Uh, mourning is, is a word which, and we've experienced this. There's a, a, an ache, a deep ache. There's something deep within ourselves that sometimes it surfaces in tears. Sometimes it surfaces in, in that we are crying. Or, but it, it's more than that. It's more than the tears it is, a, it is a grief that cannot be seen as well and as completely as it can be felt. It is a, uh, a weeping of the soul. And I like to think of it as, as really it's more of an anguish within one's heart. That's the mourning. 
And yet, Jesus says, blessed are they that mourn. And I thought a lot about that. How is it that someone can be blessed when they're anguishing or they're grieving or they're crying in their heart or they're agonizing over their life or they're aching because their life has not gone that way? How is that possible? And that's why I wanted to change that. So I've chosen three examples out of the scriptures to illustrate that. The first one, uh, despair. I've chosen Job because I think Job and the life of Job and and the account of Job and the book of Job that we have actually is a very descriptive roadmap of what despair is. The story, of course, and we're familiar with it, Job was a righteous man. Job was a, a follower of God and everything was going well in his life. And yet we see on the backside of the, of the curtain that one day Satan came to God and said, let me test him and I will get him to curse you. And it was allowed and that's exactly what happened. Ultimately, Job lost all of his family, lost his children, lost, lost all of his possessions. We also find that ultimately he was stricken with physical maladies, boils, and all kinds of things. And then on top of that, he had friends that came to him wanting to encourage him, but yet we find time and time again that their words of encouragement, though well-intended, did not accomplish that at all. And Job comes to a point in, in all of this that he did not curse God, but he did not understand what was the value of his life, why was he still living, why was he going through all this. And so that's what we would call despair. So let me, let me share some of his words uh, that describe this, which is mourning. He was mourning his despair, in his despair. Here's what he said. Oh, that my grief, my grief were fully weighed and all my calamity was laid on the scales. It would be seen that it is heavier than the sand of the sea. Though my words have been rash, the Almighty's words are within me. And then he asked this question. He says, does the wild donkey bray when it has grass or does the ox moo over its fodder? He says, my soul refuses to even want to eat. They seem to be loathsome food to me. Oh, that I might have my request that God would grant me that which I long for and that it would please God to crush me that he would loose his hand and cut me off. What strength do I have, he said, that I should hope? And what is my end? Why should I hope to prolong my life? Is my strength the strength of stones? No. Or is my flesh bronze? No. Is help within me? No. Is success driven from me? Yes. Words of mourning, of despair. We live in a land and in a culture and in a, in a society that though we think it's different, it's actually not that different. There has always been these moments, these seasons where unfortunately 
Each of us probably have felt some kind of despair like Job talked about. It's something that we feel like that either we're insignificant or God cannot hear us. As the psalmist said, oh God, why have you forsaken me? And so we all know what that is. And, and we, end up, we end up mourning because we feel that we are alone or that we are separated or that our situation is unique. And we're the only ones that have ever gone through it. And in going through it, we don't know what we're doing. And we mourn. We become detached. Uh, We become listless in our spirit. And so with that in mind, and I think even in your memories, if you can think about that, if you've gone through that now, what did the Lord say? Oh, the blessedness. Of what? The morning? No. Oh, the blessedness of comfort when you're in mourning. No matter what our despair is, we need to understand that Jesus Christ and God our Heavenly Father is very willing and ready to come to us and comfort us in the despair of our lives, whatever it might be. Unfortunately, some reached this point as even Job was thinking that it'd be better that he'd not even lived. At one point, it'd be better that I had not even been born. Why have I been born if I'm going through this, Job uh, would speculate. Sometimes we might reach that point and we think that we uh, have no help. But again, understand what Jesus says. He says, oh, the bliss of the comfort when you're in despair. What God said, he says, I'm the one who dwells in the high and holy place. And I will dwell with anyone who has a contrite and humble spirit. I will revive them. And I will revive their heart of those. I have seen their ways. I will heal them. I will lead them. And then God says, I will restore comforts to them. Now that makes sense now what Jesus says. Oh, the bliss of comfort when I'm in despair. The comfort of God. The second example is Absalom and David. Heart-wrenching account in the scriptures. This is the morning of grief when something, someone, tragedy, whatever it is, comes to our doorstep. And I'm always struck by how it affects different people in different ways, but yet it seems to be that the conclusion is always the same. We mourn, we grieve. When we lose someone that we love or are close to or that we admire, again, the grief is something that cannot be seen. The mourning, we feel it, we ache with it, 
and yet we just simply seem to suffer from the poverty of words because we can't describe it. One of the best examples, at least in the scriptures, that I always go to is, is David. David, King David, had a son. His name was Absalom. He loved Absalom. But as Absalom grew older, he began to cut against the grain of his father, David, King David, until ultimately Absalom wanted to assert his own father, take over, uh, become king himself. And no matter what David did, and no matter how he tried to lead and help Absalom, Absalom just simply would not heed his father's advice. David tried to protect him. David tried to shield him. Because there were others who served King David that saw exactly who and what Absalom was. David looked at Absalom as his son. But others looked at Absalom as a threat, as a danger, as someone who had to be dealt with. And he was dealt with. David had a captain. His name was Joab. And Joab was a man of war, very pragmatic. He was extremely loyal to David to the point that we find ultimately he disobeyed the very direct command that David had given him. When Absalom was running all over the country and trying to stir up problems and take the throne, David would tell his, his leaders, and Joab in particular, uh, he's a good boy, he's all right, you know, just don't hurt him. And we find, we find one day that Absalom had been pursued by uh, the army of, of uh, David, led by Joab. And they had pursued Absalom, and Absalom was on the run. And, but as things happened, something unexpected happened. Someone came and told Joab, said, we found Absalom. He's hung up in a tree. He had long hair. And he was riding under an oak tree on a donkey, and when he rode under that tree trying to escape from all those who were pursuing him, he got hung up. He was just hanging there in the tree. And so the one that told Joab said, we know where he is, but we remember what our king says is we should not harm him. And Joab said, okay, let's go find him. So they went to him. And while all the others were going to obey David, Joab knew in his heart exactly what he was going to do. And here's what it says. He went up to Absalom and he looked at him. And I'm sure Absalom probably thought he could be protected once again. But Joab was going to do something different. The scriptures say that, Arab, uh, that Joab went up to him and he says, I will not tarry with you anymore. And he took three darts, three knives, and thrust them through the heart of Absalom while he was yet alive in the midst of the oak. And then ten young men that bear Joab's armor came up and completely slew Absalom, cut him, decapitated, however you want to look at it. 
They slew him. Joab blew the trumpet. And all the people began to run who had followed Absalom. And then they took all the parts of Absalom. And the scriptures say they cast him into a great pit in the wood and laid a bunch of stones upon him. Well, they were going back to Jerusalem to see the king. The king knew that they had found or knew where Absalom, his son, was. And again, like a father, he was wanting the well-being of his son. He would look and know it was his son and look past his faults. So David was there waiting, and all of a sudden in the distance, the scriptures say that there was a, a young man who was running and toward the, toward the king. And so when David saw him, someone next to him said, well, it's a single runner. And King David said, well, he, he has news. He has news of Absalom. So he came up and he said, uh, and this is what's in it, is the young man Absalom safe? Is what David asked this runner, this messenger. The young man, the servant, said, well, I saw a great tumult or a great activity, but I don't, I don't know what it was about. The king said, well, then stand over here because I see another runner. The other runner was a Cushite, and he came up to him. And again, he asked the same question. Is the young man Absalom safe? That second runner said, this is good news, my lord, the king. The Lord has avenged you this day of all those who rose up against you. The king said to the Cushite, is the young man Absalom safe? That's the father. The Cushite answered and said, may the enemies of the Lord my king and all who rise up against you to do harm, may they be like that young man Absalom. When David heard that, the scriptures say he was deeply moved, mourned, grieved. He knew what that meant. He went up into the chamber over, the, over his house, over the gate, closed the door, wouldn't allow anyone in there, and wept and wailed and poured his heart out. And the best words that he could say to himself and probably could be heard outside of the gate, oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died in your place, oh, Absalom, Absalom, my son. Mourning, grief, that's the second example of how we mourn when we lose someone or when there is an absence. I know for a fact we all have gone through that. We all have felt that. So when I read the words of the Lord, blessed are they that mourn, I can tell you the truth. In the middle of my mourning, I don't feel blessed. Blessed. 
at all. But when I read it as I believe it captures it, oh, the blessedness of comfort while you're mourning. Then I understand what the Lord is saying. In fact, David did. David and the psalmist wrote, and he described, I think it was a very apt description of what it's like when we're in grief. My days are consumed like smoke. My bones burn like a hearth. My heart is stricken. I forget to eat. I lie awake. I'm like a sparrow on a roof by themselves. My days are like a shadow that lengthens. I feel like I'm withering away like grass. I'm poor. I'm needy. My heart is wounded within me. My knees are weak. But yet he later then understood the comfort because he's the one who wrote, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. And thy rod and thy staff, They come. You see, our Lord, when he made that statement, understood that in the multitude of our mourning, our anxieties and our grief, he still is able to comfort us and give us light in our soul. That's the second example. The third example is one of guilt, mourning because of guilt. Woe is me, Isaiah said. I'm unclean, and I live amongst a bunch of unclean people. That's a large statement. But I want to look at the particular individual statement when we each mourn because of our guilt of what we've done, how we've lived, and what we thought. And of course, the example of that, the prime, beautiful example, is the prodigal son, the one who wasted, the one who just took everything given out of love and abused it to a wasteland. We know the story. A certain man had two sons. The younger of him said, Father, give me, give me. And that was a demand, by the way. Give me my portion that falls to me. So the father did. Gave him his livelihood, part of his livelihood. Not many days after, the scriptures say, the younger son gathered everything that he had, including the inheritance, everything that his father had. And he journeyed to a far country, get as far away from my father, from my family, from everything I know, get as far away as I can. And yet it says, and there wasted everything, all of his possessions with prodigal, prodigal living. Word prodigal. There's an old song came out a while back. I did a bad, bad thing. The old Western song. It's good. It's right. I did a bad, bad thing. When he had spent all, the scriptures say, and Jesus is telling this story. When he'd spent all, 
There arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want, empty. He had nothing. So he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and ended up doing the very thing that he thought he would never, ever have to do. He was feeding the swine. And as a Jew, that was the worst thing in the world because Jews don't eat pork. And yet he found himself feeding them. And he finally reached a point he was so hungry. He was so empty. He was so without anything because no one gave him anything. But then it says he came to himself. Oh, I love those moments. Very unusual phrase. I mention it every time I mention this passage. He came to himself. It's a wonderful phrase. It's exactly what Kent and Kim were talking about. God has given us that ability to understand. And when we come to ourselves, he said this, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger. Now, what he didn't do, he didn't say, Well, it's my brother's fault, or it's my father's fault, or it's the citizen's fault. No, he didn't blame anyone else. For his condition. No, instead, he got right to the nugget of it. He said, I will go to my father and I will say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Guilt. He was in mourning at that point. Guilt. It had weighed him and pulled him down to the pig pen. He had nothing and he had no one. And yet he was very honest with himself. And he didn't blame anyone else. He just says, I have done that. Guilt. When that rests on our shoulders, not everyone else, but us, it does cause you to mourn. I have sinned against heaven and you. The story, of course, as Jesus is telling us, so he went back. And this is where, to me, the words of the Lord and the Beatitude really come into play. Oh, the bliss of comfort when you're in the mourning of your guilt, when you feel guilty, that bliss of comfort. And that's what we see. He started making his way back. The father saw him a long way off. The father ran out, and before, before he, anything could happen, the father just simply hugged him and kissed him and embraced him. The son was finally able to say, Father, I, I, I have sinned against heaven, and I've sinned against you. But the father wasn't in the mood to hammer that down. He was wanting to comfort his son. And what did he do? The father said to his servants, bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, bring the fatted calf, kill it and let us eat and be merry. Oh, the bliss of comfort in our grief and in our guilt and in our despair. 
So when I read this second beatitude, blessed are they that mourn, they shall be comforted. I change the words, I look at it, and I understand it. Blessed, oh, the blessedness of comfort when we are in our mourning. So for us today, as I conclude this, I want us to remember what God has said and what our Lord has said. God has said, I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that you should be afraid of? Of a man who will die and a son of a man who will be made like grass? He says, I am the one as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. Jesus told his disciples in the midst of their mourning before he's crucified, he said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. So for us today, it's as Paul, I think, said to the church at Corinth, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Father of mercies, and he is the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our tribulation, that then we may be able to comfort those who are in trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Blessed are they that mourn, the Lord says you can still be comforted. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your words that truly, truly give comfort in our days. I pray today, Lord, that if there's anyone here who is feeling in despair, or Lord, they have had deep loss, grief in their heart, or someone here who has just tried to carry the guilt of their life. Lord, I pray very simply that they could take these words and understand it's for them. That they can find and will be given comfort by our Heavenly Father and by you. And for that, I give you thanks in our Lord's name. Amen. Let's stand this morning as we come to a close. And in this time, uh, where you stand in the pew or you can come and pray, it doesn't matter where. The main thing is, if you are feeling that heaviness in your heart, understand God can alleviate that heaviness. You know, I love what the Lord said. <laughs> you know, I just, I love how he said this, come unto me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Blessed are they that mourn, you can find comfort. As we sing, Brother Mark, and for Sunday. Sing one verse unless someone would like to come. With 